Hey everyone, this is Diamond Rivera, and we are back at it with Let's Discuss with Diamond. And today's episode is featuring a very, very special guest all the way from the other side of the world. But before we get started, I hope everyone is having an amazing Sunday. And guys, hey, we're getting ready for the rest of the week to begin. And everyone, today I have the pleasure of having a person that I've known for close to over two years now, representing London, United Kingdom. Uh, his DJ sets are amazing, but also the post that he writes is so insightful and his focus on bringing more education into the bachata community out there in London is something to behold. And I'm definitely pleased to announce that we have here the one and only DJ Pierre. Hey. Hello. Hey, uh, I'm great, Pierre. Honestly, this is amazing. Here in New York, you out there in London, first things first, how is your day going thus far? Or how is it out there right now in London? Uh, it's really good. We've got a bit of a mini heat wave going on. So, oh, you too. You too. I yeah. mean, this, this. it's all good. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I'm assuming you are cooling off in your house right now. Well, we actually got the pool out in the garden. So not not a proper pool, just one of those like temporary pools. Hey, man. I mean, I'm, I'm still jealous of you right now. But, you know, Pierre, really <laughs> thank you for coming on. As I've said before, introducing you, um, really getting to know you, especially during the height of the pandemic, people like yeah. Sinfiltro, people like Daniel Chong, having these podcasts and interviews with different artists. One yeah. that I saw you on with a triage and on a panel of different DJs. Um, mm -hmm. And I found a lot of the, the topics very insightful. Um, and for me, I, I always said uh, with my platform, I wanted to have a person like you on for me because I love education, especially in yeah. our community, especially in the dances that we do. Because I think, don't get me wrong, the dances that we do, whether it's salsa, bachata, kizomba, zoo, the list goes on, they're great dances, but it's also best when you're being taught correctly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. great. You know, so for me, Pierre, before we get into that, really, kind of help me and others understand who is DJ Pierre. Okay, yeah. So uh, I'm DJ Pierre from London, in the UK. Um, I wasn't always a dancer in my family. My family were a very musical family, so I, I grew up um, playing instruments um, when I was a baby, like my. My parents, they used to have a band and they used to rehearse and they used to put me to sleep on top of the speaker cabinet. Mm. So we had music going through my body as a baby. Um, so I've always been very much about the music. Um, so yeah, I started off playing guitar, playing bass, um, around pubs and clubs in the UK. I was DJing as well, DJing weddings, DJing parties from when I was about 15 years old. Um, I only actually really got into um, dancing by accident, as everyone does, <laughs> in about 2001. Um, uh, my girlfriend at the time, she dragged me along to a salsa class, and I loved it. Um, but then she got a bit upset because the teacher told her that I was a natural, and she'd been oh. for a while. <laughs> Uh, so she she forbid me from ever going again with her. But then when we split up, I started going on my own. And I was lucky enough to meet my wife there, my lovely wife Zoe. Um, and we've been together ever since. So we've been dancing together since about 2002. 
she's actually a, a proper dance teacher. Mm -hmm. She teaches tap, ballet, modern, jazz, all that sort of thing. And she was learning salsa at the time in order to start teaching. Mm -hmm. So, so we started teaching together, uh, where she was the principal and I was just the assistant. So that was in about 2004. Um, and we've been teaching together ever since. Like I said, we started with salsa, but we very soon got into bachata because, um, you know, Tony Lara? Absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. very familiar with Tony Lara. Yeah, so Tony Lara was one of the guys who was pioneering bachata around Europe around 2004 mm. time. And we were good friends with Tony, so we were hosting him at our clubs and we where he used to come over, stay over at our house. And we were sort of helping him on that initial tour. So he got me into bachata very early. Um, so from 2004, I was dancing bachata. Um, and we were one of the few clubs in London that were playing regular bachata as well as salsa. So because I love the music as well as the dance. So um like normally around that time, you'd have to go and beg the DJ to play a bajatha song. <laughs> but I was, quite, <laughs> I was quite happily playing the bajatha, and everyone's like, "What? What is this music? What is this?" So we were teaching it and dancing it quite early on in our wow. clubs. So, so yeah. What's in, What's interesting, Pierre? Sorry to cut you up. You said two thousand four. Yeah. And and it amazes me because I would say maybe on stateside, maybe around two thousand eight or nine. So that is pretty like a that is a, a bit of a gap from the from Europe actually dating back to 2004 with Tony Lara, and then yeah. even on the state side, I think a lot of us, to be honest, um, we had people like even whether it was Tony Lara, whether it was um, Rod Aquino, Rod yeah. Chata, and many others, because I still remember that story uh, of them telling me how they started in Sydney. And mm -hmm. then they were in San Francisco, but realizing like, with, and you said something very important. Many people don't know there was a time you could not get a bachata played at a salsa. <laughs> like, I, and I'm young, and I'm pretty, I'm 31, but I remember dating back to maybe when I was 10, going to socials performing. I rarely heard about bachata song, and honestly, like, I, I felt at one point those songs were used for people to use the restroom. Yeah. Like people literally would play that song to kind of relax. But then to see the trajectory of how it evolved over time is a sight to see. So for me, my question to you, even though we're kind of really going through your life then, for you, dancing salsa in London, mm -hmm. were was it more of a social dancing community or did you kind of have the social dancers, but you had like those premier dancers that had company? No, no, no. It was, it was very much a, a, a social um, scene. And mm -hmm. like, like even before I started dancing, there were um, like people like Nelson Batista, um, Romero Zapata, all of those guys starting out with the salsa scene. And we had companies like Mambo City. Uh, you probably heard of the Mambo City Five Star Congress. Absolutely, like, absolutely. One of the flagship congresses in the UK that's been going for years. Um, so not only was it social, it was very much a mixture of styles because we had, uh, like we had the Cuban guys, we had the, um, 
sort of crossbody on one type Puerto Rican style. Mm -hmm. um, and the New York style was just sort of coming in and we had people from London going over to New York to study. So London was very much a, a melting pot of all the different styles mm. of salsa. So when I was learning salsa, I was learning um, crossbody in one lesson, uh, yeah. Laredo in the next lesson, uh, Casino in the next lesson. So Oh, man, you, you, you had the luxury. It sounds more like a luxury to me. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And it, it was great for the socials because you could go to a social, a social, you could hear a Cuban song, you could hear uh, a Salsadura song, you could hear mm -hmm. a Romantica and you would just dance because you knew how to dance to all the different styles. You didn't have to pick one or get upset if your style wasn't being played or anything. You just dance. Yeah, and, and see, and so my question then, like you said, there was the different styles that were kind of influencing in London. So would you consider London at one point being more of a on-one predominant? London has always been predominantly on-one. Gotcha. But we're, we're, we, you know Leon Rose, right? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> he had this thing called London Style. Yes, he told me in our interview. I definitely yeah. remember that. <laughs> uh, so, so we used to like do a mixture of crossbody and Cuban and a bit of everything else, and that's what we called London style. Um, so, yeah, it was good fun. <laughs> Man, I mean, so you know, over the years, you kind of seen that the scene blossoming as we now turn closer to the 2010s. You know, after the yeah. 2000s. Mm -hmm. For you then, when, or my question to you is, when did you kind of see the shift of bachata becoming more and more apparent, more and more frequent? Well, again, it was it was down to this guy called Tony Lara, and um, he started this festival called the Sexy and Central Latin Festival. Wow. In London. <laughs> yeah. And that was 2008. I think, if I get it right, 2008, 2009, one of the two. Um, and that was the first real sort of bachata-focused event, Congress-type event in London. All the others had been sort of mainly salsa um, events. Um, so, yeah, so that's when it started taking hold. And you had people like, I remember when uh, Ataka and Alamana came over for the first time. I remember when uh, Corky and Judith came over for the first time. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so that sort of period between 2008 and 2012 was when it kind of took over. And we were lucky. Um, around about 2012, I think it was, um, we had a company called Ritmo Latino, which, is, yes. which was run by um, Julian and Biscuit. And they brought over um, Prince Royce to uh, to perform in the UK, uh, which was crazy. Yeah, and they also brought over Romeo Santos as well. So we were lucky to have like proper bachata singers in the UK. So yeah, it was amazing. And you said 2008 to 2012 was kind of those pivotal years. Yeah. And I think as well, even in stateside New York, and, and I would be specific, 2011-12 was kind of that same year. Um, I have to give a big shout out to Dr. Lemana, especially with yeah. the bachata dance community 
Mm -hmm. um, most people know them from De Extraño, you know, they did a performance <laughs> in the, in the yeah. white and the black and everything. But, yeah. but realizing too, we also have to give appreciation to many others that had did it and promoted yeah. this life before um, that. Because yeah. again, you know, for me, when people say, if we're going we're gonna to go into it, of course, bachata sensual. When they yeah. say that, they, they correlate that to Corky and Judith, but they correlate that to Europe and Spain and other places. Yeah. But, you know, now my question to you is, when was the transition for you from social dancing into becoming a DJ? It's becoming a... A DJ. A DJ for me. Um... Well, I mean, I, I was DJing straight from the beginning because, like, when we opened our club in 2004, mm -hmm. um, I was DJing salsa as well as bachata for, because I was already a DJ, so I had all the kit mm. and I had the music collection. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been DJing since 2004 as wow. well. And then, so, so then, when we're talking about you then playing bachata music at yeah. uh a salsa predominant kind of area was the reception pretty like back and forth or was it kind of people hesitant to you know dance they were hesitant at first but we um we weren't just randomly throwing it in like i said we we brought tony in to teach for us so he yeah. taught a couple of boot camps he taught some workshops and he was teaching classes in the local area so it wasn't something totally new to them but again in a one hour set you'd play maybe one bachata if you were lucky two bachatas yeah the lucky yeah. yeah you kind of pushing it once you hit two and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then once you hit three that's when people start looking at you funny you know yeah they're like wait <laughs> are you taking requests like it's <laughs> But back in that time, the, the, the song that you'd play to get people to go to the bar was merengue. It wasn't bachata. You're yeah. very, you're on it, you're on it, you are on it. I trust you as a DJ because that was the setup. I yeah. remember that in New York. People would play merengue and then boom, you hit them with a little bachata after that just to see. Yeah. But, you know, so then for you, if I may ask you a question as a DJ, yeah. Do you remember like any of the popular songs that people love to hear, especially with bachata music, on the in the early days? Oh yeah, I mean there's like all the classics like Textraño, like uh, Lamento Boliviano, mm -hmm. um, like uh, Toby Love, Player for Sure, like all of those guys. I mean, there's some amazing songs from that that era. Oh no, no, of course, and the reason I even asked that because. Even now, as we see, I would say since maybe 2012, 13 till present, I would say me and you, even though we're on different sides of the world, have has seen the shift in the music. Yeah. And, and that was something because, especially about Chata, like with Salsa, you have your casino, you have your the on one, the on two, everything in between. Yeah. And I don't see so much pushback with salsa than it has come to bachata. And I think a lot of times, in my humble opinion, you can correct me if I'm wrong, was the educational part of it wasn't emphasized. And right. I started seeing, and I have to be honest, you know, you had your bachata teachers who would teach, and then the, the categories started appearing. 
You had the traditional, the urban, the modern. Um, I've heard, then we went into Bachata Sensual and people like Corky and Judith, I hold them in high regard and I respect them so much because watching them teach is one thing. But when they have conversations with their students telling them, understanding bachata is bachata. Yeah. We are not saying this is a standalone type of art form. And you're yeah. hearing it from the creators, but I think as of recent years, there have been there's such an influx, a, such a vast influx of more and more teachers. But as even as we talked, you know, the educational part is lacking. So for my question, sorry, my question really to you, Pierre, is when Bachata Sensual started to gain steam, yeah. did you see that there was going to be troubles like we see? In terms of just like the backlash of the education and the terminology of everything. Within a few years, yeah, it was it was evident that there was going to be problems. Um, because like w- with salsa, there is a very rich history of salsa and it's very well documented. Um, even when it comes to the music, the history, the culture, but when it comes to bachata, th- that that knowledge is very, very hard to find, right? mm. and it, it th- that level of knowledge has only really been coming out over the past sort of five years, maybe, yeah, with people like Edwin Ferreras um, yes. doing his his amazing job. Um, I mean, the the grandfather of it, we got to sort of give like props to Carlos Sinta. Oh, Back yes, 2012, he did his um bachata breakdown in vivo album with Juan Soriano, where he breaks down the instruments of the bachata and mm-hmm. the different rhythms and everything else. Um, that was really where I started to get into the musicality of bachata with that album. Um, so I always give big shout out to Carlos for that because he's the one that got me into it um but yeah finding the the level of like information that you need to to teach any subject with regards to bachata yeah it was very hard to find and it still is hard to find because there's so much conflicting information out there um so so when you talk to people like Tony, when you talk to people like Corky, they even say that when they were when they were teaching in the in the early days, they were just making stuff up because they they had no access to mm. the information, and they're very honest about that. Um, but we're now at a point where the information is available. Yes. So you can't plead ignorance anymore. You, you have to start taking that information on board. And even if even if you were one of the teachers who learned back in 2012, you need to go back and revisit what you learned because <laughs> that information has changed. More information has become available. More education is available. We've got actual musicians out there teaching now, people like Ricky Manuel, who runs the Bachata Academy um, in the Dominican. He's actually now teaching dance with Nanda. Um, And so the information is there, it's accessible. 
you just need to be willing to go and find the teachers who will teach you about the the music the culture the history and everything else so that we can find out what bachata actually is yeah as a, as a, as a core right no i i totally agree and and i and i should say from my experience what i personally feel was the what caused the shift just like salsa i remember 90s 2000s you would have movies yeah. shall we dance different movies that right. showcase salsa when you had so you think and dance you had these latin artists doing all these moves that gave that garnered a new like fascination with the public of, oh, what is this? This is intriguing. And yeah. then so slowly, really, the 2010s, or really like 2008s into the 2010s and, and going on forward with mainstream media and music and influence, people like Romeo, people like Prince Royce, and many yeah. others that then started to collaborate with the big pop stars, whether it's Drake, uh, whether it's Usher, what I started seeing more is that correlation. Now people are saying, oh my God, what is this? This is interesting. This music that this kind of this fusion, then they say, oh, what is this? This is bachata. Oh, let me search bachata classes. Oh, this style of bachata looks so intriguing because for me, when I saw Sensual, I said, oh, this is gonna get a lot of people looking because of the focus on connection. But then this is also something that can get people in trouble. Because if you don't understand connection, you don't understand boundaries. And oh, the I thing, you know, and that's the thing is, it's that give and take. It's like, it's a catch 22. It's like, hey, this is great for the promotion of like trying to understand how bachata is. But if the people don't focus on educating themselves, they just want to learn patterns, but also, and if I have to be honest, how many people have told me bachata is simply simple, is much more simpler to comprehend than it is salsa? Yeah. And it's the, the steps are quicker or much simpler and, and modified for people than it is in salsa. I grew up dancing salsa. When I transitioned to bachata, taking classes, I was like, whoa, this is not hard at all for me. It's mm. just, you know, you're learning, it's only different when you're learning a advanced choreography. That's yeah. the biggest difference. But, you know, I think the appeal between the public and the art form kind of got misconstrued when the people teaching it are just teaching patterns and not really teaching you, honestly, how to get from point A to point B to point C. Yeah. Because as many times as I've seen at a, a workshop, a teacher being questioned, and I can tell this teacher has no idea how to answer it. But I mean, I, I think that the comparison with salsa in terms of complexity is, is slightly unfair, right? Mm -hmm. Because with salsa, salsa is a huge umbrella yes. of different styles and rhythms. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So you've got things like pachanga, bomba, plena, cha cha, pachanga, cha cha cha, like all of those different elements. You've got the orishas, you've got everything. There's so much to study in terms of salsa, yes. right? But bachata is very small, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one dance, it's one genre, it's one style, right? So that comparison of complexity, I think it's slightly unfair, but there is, there is stuff to study within bachata. Yes. And also because it is simpler, 
mm-hmm. it, it actually makes it more difficult in some ways. It's like, you know, if you're a DJ and you play a cha-cha-cha, you just see the floor and it just clicks. Oh, my God, Pierre, you too? Right? <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? It's because cha-cha-cha is actually a very simple dance if you do it like properly but it requires more body movement more connection more connection with the music your movements are slower so it's easier to see the things that are going wrong with your movement right mm-hmm. and it's the same with bajada because it's simpler there's more opportunities to spot what's going wrong right um, yeah. so yeah so that's the way i see it anyway <laughs> no I, I i totally agree and meaning with salsa as well and you just put it you, you just talked about it with cha-cha. Like, I've seen in the past five to ten years, like, when salsa comes on and I see a cha-cha, how many times I've filmed an event and I see people scatter like roaches. And it's like, <laughs> it, it boggles my mind because ten years back, it was the complete opposite. Yeah. And for me, it was like, hey, I had to understand we're in a different time. Yeah. And a lot of people are not, there aren't really also many cha-cha classes. No. So, I mean, th- there's... Is really that give and take. So realizing now over the years, kind of how far we've come, my last question before we get into one of our last segments is, you know, from especially the years of 2020 into now 2022, this last two years has been really a roller coaster for our dance community as a whole globally. But my question really to you, Pierre, is looking now in 2022, what are some of the Thing, like the obvious things you've noticed in your community that maybe are really good or some things that maybe do still need some improvement? Um, I mean, for, for me, the biggest issue at the moment is like superficiality, right? Mm-hmm. And that is permeating all areas of the dance scene for me, from teaching to promoting to uh, being a DJ to being a dancer. It's like the the level of teaching is is very superficial. It's all about moves. So people people become teachers, and their reasons for becoming teachers are sometimes questionable because they basically just want to go out and show people what they can do, mm-hmm. which is great. But that's not what a teacher's role is, right? That's a performance role. If you want to be a performer, go put on a show, show people what you can do, right? But being a teacher is about creating dancers. It's not necessarily about showing what you can do, right? And it comes back to that question of, like, are you an artist? Mm -hmm. It's like in the classroom... I'm not an artist. In the classroom, I'm a teacher, right? If I want to be an artist, I'll put together a show, right? Mm -hmm. I'll go perform it on stage. That's where my artistry comes out, my creativity, right? Yes, you can create moves and stuff if you want to. That's cool. But as a teacher, your job is to give the students the tools to create their own moves, to do their own creativity, to create their own style, right, rather than looking like copies of you. And that is something that we have at the moment. You look at the dance floor and you can say, oh, that move comes from so-and-so. That move comes from that club. That move was taught in this Congress two years ago. I saw it on YouTube, right? Yeah. So, yeah. 
it's like you can see that the dancers are not creating their own personas they're mm. becoming copies of other people so it's very superficial in that respect and what you said earlier about connection again i find connection very superficial at the moment yeah. there's it, it's all about you look at the demos and it, it's crazy the the, the music starts and the, the woman's in the middle, she's doing her styling and everything else, yeah? And then the guy walks on, he's got his moody face, he's coming up to her, he's coming, <laughs> and then he like, takes her into the hold and the whole performance is just drama. It's just like, ah, ah yeah? And this, it bears no relation to what I recognize as social dancing at all. Right, the, the the social dancing is about creating that connection with your partner, mm -hmm. and creating the connection between you, your partner, and the music, and having consideration for the people around you on the dance floor and being part of a community. So that's what I think of as connection. It's not just that fake face. And, oh my God! Oh, wait, are you giving me this infiltro hand right now? Is <laughs> oh, that's that's a great one. The nipple cripple, <laughs> Daniel Trump calls it. You know. Yeah. And but. it's it's interesting you say that, Pierre, because I, I definitely agree on this side because I've seen it's almost the idea of the demo and the performance mm -hmm. almost or the social dance almost like gets convoluted. It almost gets like, is this is this like social dance that we're having a performance or is this <laughs> just something we're naturally doing? And a lot of times and it's interesting enough, I have here DJ Sebas saying the hard part is less and less people want to learn from you unless you prove you can put on a show. They see the cool moves online and the classes fill up. The, the appreciation of actual knowledge decreases by the day, unfortunately. And but why? Why does proving that you can do a show mean that you are a good social dance teacher? They're two completely separate things, right? I know some great performers, performers that are really crap at social dancing. Absolutely, I know I know a lot of them. And so, so one does not prove the other. So, but but see, the, but that's the interesting part because me and you see that, but yeah. someone else's perception may not. No. Because the thing is, someone can say this artist is an amazing singer, as I or amazing the song I'm hearing on the radio is amazing, but I see them in person, and it's yeah. like I'm expecting the same. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. like saying it's like going to Ed Sheeran to teach you how to play music. It's like Ed Sheeran's a great artist, but that doesn't mean he's a great music teacher. <laughs> no, no, and hey, it, it's true. It's just I think over the years, people say if I don't see it happening in front of me, I can't believe it. It's almost like if, if I don't visually see it, then it's not real. But you know, I've I've met some teachers across the world that may not have the hugest following, but they teach amazingly. I mean. <laughs> You know, and even DJ, DJ Sebas here says the novice doesn't only see it that they don't care. It's harder to sell the knowledge because you can't see it. Because, mm -hmm. but again, that's another thing. That's that's one of the sort of downfalls of social media because workshops become about selling content rather mm -hmm. than teaching. So every I I get this when I see artists at festivals and they're constantly, oh, what are we going to teach this time? Because we taught it at a festival two weeks ago and some of those people are here again. So we can't teach the same thing. We have to teach something new. Uh, they're always trying to come up with new content to mm -hmm. put in their workshops. And like 
I wrote a post the other day and I was like, someone came up to me the other day and they said, Pierre, why are you still teaching the same shit you taught 10 years ago? Mm -hmm. I was like, because I'm still teaching the same dance that I taught 10 years ago. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to keep making stuff up because the dance hasn't changed. Well, yes, the dance has changed, but the foundations of the dance are the same. And that's what I'm giving to my students. I'm giving my students the foundations so that they can create their own flavor of bachata, but mm. still dancing bachata. Totally so, understand. So really, yeah. too, lastly, before we get into our last segment, uh, really the topic now of the remixes, I think, yeah. has been a huge topic for some time now of people understanding, in my opinion, well, as well, I felt the remixes helped bring in a new generation of dancers. I think the fami- the familiarity of hearing top 40 songs sometimes meshed in with a bachata beat undertone or a, a backbeat in a sense. Um, I've seen that a lot over Congresses and festivals of the last five, six years. Of I've seen it in my camera watching somebody hear a song that's familiar to them, but in a bachata style. But you as well, I would I would consider. Do you consider yourself a bachata purist? No, not at all. But a person who loves who under who loves bachata music. You have yes. focused on really detailing what it means. Do you think? And this is a question I've always wanted to ask you. Do you feel that bachata remixes help the community, or like are they useful for the community? I think or- it's a double-edged sword. Right, because again, going back to like all of the things that we're talking about in bachata, they happened in salsa. Yes, right. I don't know if you remember, but back in like salsa, we had the R and B remixes, the R and B covers, like things like Fifty Cent in the club, the salsa version. Yes, I heard that. I heard not too many times, but I definitely remember that. But there was a whole like period of about two thousand and three to two thousand and six where there were loads of salsa remixes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they definitely helped to draw people in. But um, the the problem with bachata remixes is that they fall into two categories, right? Mm. You have bachata remixes and you have what we call bongo chatter, right? And like, <laughs> you know what I mean by bongo oh, what about What about trap chatter? Have you heard of that? Yeah, trap chatter. That, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, um, as, as long as you know what you're talking about. But the yeah. the problem was that people always used to talk about bachata remixes as one thing, whereas where you had people like DJ Soltrix, you had people like DJ Dimensions, um, Alejandro, all that crowd that were making proper bachata remixes with all of the instruments, all of the rhythms, all of the structure, all of the flavors of bachata music, right? Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, you had all the lazy DJs who would just come, take a pop song, stick a bongo on top of it. That's a bachata remix, right? So the the proper remixes, yeah, 100%. I will play bachata remixes in my set. Mm -hmm. Not, Not loads of them, but I will play them in my set. Yeah. No problem because it it is bachata, right? But when it comes to playing bongo chatter, that changes the way that people dance, and you can see it on the floor. 
As soon as you put on a slow bongo chatter remix, the feet stop moving and out come all the way, <laughs> all the head rolls. They stand still. They don't do anything, right? It changed the music that we dance to changes the way that we dance. And if mm. DJs understood that more, they would be more selective in what they play. Because if you play bongo chatter, or if you play shit music, you are directly affecting the way that people dance. And you can see it. It's right there in front of your eyes. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree because there's a difference between dancing a song by Anthony Santos or Joveras, um, mm. you know, compared to a bachata remix or a bongo chata. I, I totally agree because I'm also the visual person that is watching things transpire. I'm literally maybe looking at one individual or a couple, but mm. I'm seeing 10 others and I'm like, realizing year after year these new songs that come out yeah it's great for the familiarity like oh this is cool but then like you said this overall changes people on how they interpret it and then that can be a loss in translation because you can have a video demo of someone doing all these body rolls and head movements but once you just put the word bachata people already interpret it as oh this is what it is yeah and that's what I think too has been the biggest problem is the, it's the word context. It's how you phrase it, how you interpret it, disseminate it to everyone else, because it's easy to make it clickbait and say, look at the best bachata you've ever seen mm-hmm. on a video and people who love it and people who hate it, be like eh, going back and forth. But mm-hmm. I love people like you, Pierre, that just keep it honest, like myself, the way we post, because it's informative. Um, it, it garners a lot of questions. It maybe brings back a lot of questions and ideas that people have had over the years that mm-hmm. maybe they weren't comfortable posting. And a person like yourself can put something out and it, it feeds people. It makes people inquisitive and willing to learn. So last question for you before we get into our last segment. You know, we're in 2022 now um, and we've seen our dance world has been really coming back slowly. Um, as well, I see that you are having an event here, events not in the States, but in London. Can you give us some uh, some information on this upcoming event of yours? Uh, I'm not sure which one we're going to talk about. I don't actually run any events. I, I actually work for all the promoters in London. Um, so there's like several different events going I'm talking about, sorry, I'm, I meant the Motion City event. Ah, Motion City. Motion City is not actually in London. Motion oh, City. it's not. It's in Birmingham, uh, Ooh, okay. yeah, in the in the Midlands, uh, and yeah, that again, that's ama- an amazing event. It's actually run by um, Mambo City, the guys who do the four, Five Star Congress mm. and Latin Motion. So two of the biggest promoters in the UK, they come together every August to um, put on this festival. Um, yeah, and this is going to be really good because it's the first time in three years that we've run that festival. So it's going to be good to be back at that motion city. Yeah. And then also question to that adding on is what are you looking forward to uh, throughout 2022 and beyond? Uh, just more dancing and more teaching, more having fun, just getting back to, I want to get back to that sort of pre COVID level of 
dancing that we that we had with like lots of people smiling mm -hmm. more deeper connections with our partners with the music with everything really yeah. okay all right awesome and now i think it helps us transition to our last segment called the randoms which is some questions that i have here that i've been creating throughout our talk today so okay. we're going to get into our first question and this is about a topic um, and a project that you've actually created that I'm really intrigued about and kind of want you to give us some some little bit of information about. It's called e-musicality. And right now, even as we speak, what I am going to do for everyone as well is give them a look about e-musicality. So kind of give us some information on what this is all about. Okay, so basically this, um, one of my special specialities is teaching bachata musicality um so i'm also a software developer so i put those two things together and i'm also a musician i put those three things together uh, to create this app it's, it's freely available online uh free of charge um and i've been working with the the musicians that you can see there so dj dimensions danny j jury all of those guys and what it does is if you click into one of those songs um what you can see so if you go into maybe jury's one sos bachata sos amor yeah um what it does is it, it breaks down the song for you into the different sections so you can see where the intro is where the verse is where the chorus is mm. gives you the different counts and along the left-hand side there, you can see all the different instruments. Um, and it allows you to turn those instruments on and off so you can hear them individually. Um, again, giving props back to um, Carlos Sinta. This is basically an online interactive version of what he did 10 years ago with his Bachata uh, Breakdown and Vivo CD. Um, where he did pretty much the same thing, but it was in a CD format. This is just the same thing online with some more music and more interactive. So, so then if people would like to find this application, uh, what yeah. would the site be? Uh, yeah, if you just go to emusicality.co.uk. Simple as that. emusicality.co.uk. Let's see if the make sure, I want to make sure it's right here, but... You know, my question to you then, when it kind of comes to, to that, was how has been really the reception to that? You know, how have people, how has the public received this application? Oh, mate, they love it. Um, it. It gets thousands of hits every day. Um, a lot of teachers are actually using it in their classes to teach bachata musicality because mm. it, it helps you to sort of break down the music for your students. And you can even sort of loop sections within the within the app so that you can practice the like uh, the verse or practice the chorus. Um, yeah. No, man. Hey, listen. Uh, all of that work and determination and hard work. I mean, definitely appreciate an app like that. And I'll be checking out it as well. So, next question is, you know, kind of coming off of dancing as we are. You know, we realize many of us. Dancing was a, is a part of our life, but it's not our full life. So yeah. what is a hobby of yours outside of DJing, dancing related? Uh, 
another hobby of mine is taking the kids to Orlando every year. Oh, it's a Disney, <laughs> I'm assuming. <laughs> yep, they're Disney uh, fans. They love going over to Disneyland. So, okay. Hey, I mean, it's, that is a beautiful trip. Pretty expensive, but it is a beautiful <laughs> trip out there. I mean, so if we're going there, what's your favorite ride for you? Uh, for me, the Tower of Terror. Uh, oh, Tower of Terror. Okay, I love that. I love that, man. That's awesome. All right, now let's take it back to social. So, you know, we all love having fun, but, you know, there's also some some cringy moments. But I would ask you, what is the pet peeve of yours when at a social, when you're dancing with someone? Uh, when I'm dancing with someone, uh, it's, it's a lack of connection. So with me, I always try and find uh, a rapport with my partner um, before we get into doing like anything crazy. Like just finding that basic flow together so that we can dance together. And sometimes it is it, hard because like I'm a big, fat, boarding middle-aged <laughs> guy you know <laughs> so, like i've danced with some girls they're looking me up and down they're like can you dance really oh no i i'm not gonna lie i hate those people because a lot of times and i have to be honest i'm sorry to coach you up here those people those superficial people are some of the underperforming dancers i've seen <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, that, that's the thing. But like, as soon as we get into it and they relax, within a couple of seconds they're smiling. So oh, absolutely, yeah. because they they think that their the their their vision of what a dancer looks like is totally convoluted and yeah. mistaken. Because nowadays you see how many dancers we have. All right, so for you at one of your favorite events, the DJ tells you, "Hey, Pierre, it's the last song of the night." And we want you to choose your favorite song for the last song of the night at our event. Bachata? It could be anything. If somebody, that DJ says, hey, you get to choose the last song before we get out of here. Okay, so for Bachata, I I love um, Aventura. Mm -hmm. So um, usually it's like either Dinero Amor or... Like anything from Aventura, really. I okay. love that closing track. Um, and for salsa, it's got to be something romantica, like uh, Mujer Erotica. Like, I love that song. Okay. Yeah. I love it. You had, a, you had the salsa and bachata songs. I love it. All right. Yeah. Next question here. I might know the answer to this question, but if you are at your favorite Congress festival, social weekend, or whatever have you, and it again, it is the last song, but you can only dance with one person. Who is it? My wife, obviously. Besides your wife. <laughs> uh, my my favorite dancer in the UK is actually a dancer called uh, Rasa, mm -hmm. um, and she she's an amazing dancer. I, I love dancing with her. Um, she just follows everything, whether it's salsa, bachata, kizomba anything you like. And the other thing that I like about her is that she's actually what I call an active follower. So she engages with you. She engages with the music. She knows how to take care of herself. So anyone that can do that is perfect for me. 
Awesome, awesome. All right, next and last question here. And we're going to step into your DJ bag. So mm -hmm. when you want to close out a show, an event, tell me what song would be for you for the last song of the night. It really depends on the event. But, yeah, I'm going to go with one of the classics. So even like Dick Strania, I would quite happily close out a night on that. Okay. And then if, if we're going to go into our salsa kind of way, what would, would it also be Mujer Exotica or would there be another song you would choose? Um, no, I, I actually like, uh, there's a song by Ricky Campanelli mm -hmm. called uh, Buscando La Verdad. Okay. Uh, so that's, that's a really nice one to finish on as well. Awesome, man. Honestly, again, Pierre, really thank you again for doing this segment. I love doing it with every one of my guests. And now it helps us transition to the conclusion of our talk today. Me out here around, what, 3, almost 4 p.m., you out there almost 8 or 9 p.m. And, you know, again, I really appreciate you on this platform because, for me, people with your insight, uh, with your informative uh, dialogues, this is what our community needs, whether it's in Europe, whether it's on the state side. And I really appreciate you coming on. But before we go, at least, <laughs> say again? Thank you for having me. Oh, no, no, absolutely. My, at least before we do go, I would love to know if you had any last few words for myself in the audience, but also maybe some contact info on how people can reach you and see what you're up to next. Uh, okay, so my one bit of advice for students, for Bajata students, is next time you see your teacher, ask them, what is Bajata? Mm. Right? And if they can't give you a straight answer, go find a new teacher. Oh, <laughs> I, I love that. I love that answer. Right. Um, uh, and in terms of contact, best place to find me is on Facebook. Uh, so if you just go to facebook.com forward slash salsa addict, not pajatha addict, salsa addict, that's me. Nice. So. All right. Anyway, is it salsa addict UK? No, what just Salsa it? Addict. Oh, on, on Instagram, I'm Bachata Addict UK. Okay. I'm Salsa Addict. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you get to have the most, the best of both worlds. But yeah. Pierre, honestly, it's, it's been amazing to be able to have this dialogue with you. I definitely want to have you on again in the future with a panel and get more in depth about, you know, a lot of things that are happening and changing in our community. And again, from one artist to another, thank you for what you do and the contributions you have made and the value you have. Uh, it's well appreciated here at this platform. And again, this has been a another an amazing episode of the Let's Discuss with Diamond podcast. And I'm here with the one and only DJ Pierre representing London United Kingdom. And thank you, everyone that's been tuning in, everyone that will be. We'll see you soon. Take care. <laughs>